Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. What a great, great declaration that is. And we're so much looking forward to that day, aren't we? This morning I want to speak on the passage that was read from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And the title is Not Offended, Not Offended. It appears that for one reason or another, it is easy, very easy in fact, for people to get offended these days. And I think it has certainly increased exponentially with the advent of social media and many, many people, everyone I suppose, airing their views online. Now if you are the type of person who is easily offended, then perhaps this message or the message this morning you will find a bit challenging. At first glance, the the text that we read does not appear to be the words, actions or attitudes of the gentle Jesus, meek and mild that we know. In fact, it seems out of character, so much out of character that a few commentators say that this account is incorrect, that Jesus never did this or said this and that this passage is a later inclusion. But this story is found in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew with some slight differences in the retelling by each one of the account. Now in a rare moment during his ministry, Jesus is, he goes into Gentile territory. We find Jesus leaving Capernaum. Capernaum, remember, is in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, in the north of Israel, and then, but he then walks a further 100 kilometers to the north area of Tyre and Sidon, which is, today is modern day Lebanon. Now both Gospels have a lot to say about clean and unclean in the story, in the verses before this episode. And the previous verses show Jesus wiping out the distinction between clean and unclean foods, which the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were really highlighting, they were really hard on this. But here we have Jesus wiping out the difference between clean and unclean people. And there is much that we can learn from the faith of this woman who was also a mother. So what are some aspects of her faith that we can pick up on? What is the lesson for us here? Well, first of all, desperation, as we read verses 21 to 22, desperation. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This woman is desperate to save her child. She is from another people group, from an ethnic background. Mark tells us, the Gospel of Mark tells us that she is Syro-Phoenician, a Greek. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. And, of course, we know the, the history of the Canaanites and the Israelites, which goes back to the Old Testament. Both writers are, are trying to point out that culturally, ethnically, 
socially and by their religion, she is very different. It is interesting that there is no mention of, of a husband or a father of the child. To the Jews, she was regarded as a pagan, a heathen. And this woman knew of the long-standing hatred, animosity between her people, the Canaanites, and the Jews. But prejudice, discrimination, did not hinder her from seeking help from her enemies. You know the old saying, they say that when your house is burning, you don't really care who helps you put out the fire. Most times parents have to put up with a lot, but it is hard to imagine how even this small child can be overcome by evil early in her life. And this mother is coping the best way she can with a demon-possessed child, and now she simply cannot cope anymore. That means that there are there's, there's a lot more, in fact, than just temper tantrums. There are acts of rage. Doors and furniture in the house are destroyed. She herself probably would have would have scars from physically attempting to to restrain her daughter. And this would go on through the day and all hours of the night. And all hours of the night the neighbours hear the screaming and then accuse her of being a bad mother. She's probably been to every doctor and witch doctor in the region. When this woman comes to Jesus, she comes with a desperate kind of faith. A faith that is born out of sheer need. Despite the fact that Jesus wanted some rest, that's, that's what the Gospels tell us, that he wanted to get away, so he goes there and he, and he wanted to keep his visit uh, a secret from everybody else. Nevertheless, the word got around. So as soon as this woman found out that, she had, that Jesus was coming, she had to see him. Now the problem that I have with a desperate kind of faith is that it's a bit like what the, in Spanish we like to say, caradura, or in English, uh, one translation means gall, you have the gall. For example, um, the grandchild has no relationship with granddad, but now that he's dead, they, he's going to go to the reading of the will anyway, just in case granddad, who you haven't seen for a long time, has left you something. Now I've had to, in my ministry, I've had to pray for people's needs, even though I suspect that the moment that their relationship, husband, wife, parents, kids, whatever it is, even though that situation is fixed, even though the child, for example, is healed or not, they will no longer see the need for God and much less for church. That's the desperate kind of faith that we are talking about. It is throwing out our request without no context, without no relationship with God. 
Now the type of Jesus that they see uh, many times is, I suppose, more like a Santa Claus type of Jesus, the one portrayed even by the televangelists who make all those promises on the screen. They heard that Jesus has fixed up others before, so might as well give it a go. Why not? What have we to lose? The problem for many of us today is that even Christians, even those who are called by Jesus' name, have developed this type of a needs-based faith. And uh, you're taking advantage, the God that we are supposed to be communing with each and every day, we only lift up the phone and pray to him when there is a need. This is what the... Uh, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap, cheap grace. And we don't want that. Now having said all that, having said all that, you and I are not God. Thank God for that. What's more, God's amazing grace allows for all different kinds of faith levels, including my own, including your own. He looks deep into our hearts. If we humble ourselves, he is pleased. However, if we come full of pride, making demands based upon our rights and privileges and good moral standing, then we might be shocked, even offended, even offended by his response. And God uses situations of real need in people who do not know him and situations in the lives of those who do know him to draw us closer to himself. We have all seen that whenever things are going well, we become rather self-sufficient. It is as if we have all things under control and don't need help from anyone and we don't want God to interfere in our affairs. Now this self-sufficient spirit is a real hindrance in our relationship with God. And sometimes it takes a real need to arise in order to turn our attention back to God. And God will use anything so that we have prime place. He has prime place in our lives. Spurgeon once said, Anything is a blessing which makes us pray. Anything is a blessing which makes us pray. Even some of the terrible circumstances, if it draws us closer to God, is what he's saying. Now this woman's desperate need with her desperate faith came to the one person who could actually make a difference in her life. question now is, would Jesus listen to her? So in verses 23 to 25, her persistence, her persistence. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, Lord, help me, she said. 
Matthew tells us how much this woman pushed her request to the point that the disciples were, were bothered by the, by the way she was carrying on. Just, just please, just send her away. Tell her to go. But when your daughter is demon-possessed and your last hope is before you, you, you don't really care too much about protocol, do you? This woman is so determined that she physically kneels and begs Jesus to drive out the demon from her daughter. Now I can understand, I can understand Jesus being silent while the teachers of the law were, you remember the story, the teachers of the law were requesting Jesus to condemn the woman caught in adultery. I can almost uh, understand the lamb not uttering a word as the lamb is being led to the slaughter at Calvary. What I struggle to understand is Jesus not saying a word while a desperate mother is pleading, crying out loudly for her child. You're there, you you can picture the scene. And many today would say, if what you told me is true and Jesus really does love me that much, then I shouldn't have to beg for healing. I shouldn't have to beg for forgiveness. Earlier in this chapter in Matthew, chapter 15, verses 10 to 12, this is what we read. Earlier, Jesus said, listen and understand, he said, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Well, Jesus would have said, Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know their hearts. Well, you see, Jesus had a habit of offending people. He did this for various reasons, but mainly to differentiate between the sheep and the goats. The sheep will persist while the goats will throw a tantrum. Persistence seems to be, you see, one of those things that God looks for in his children, in his followers, those who earnestly seek him. This is one characteristic of biblical faith. And many times in the scriptures we are exhorted to be persistent with God. We are exhorted to pray and keep praying. To ask and keep asking. To seek and to keep seeking. To knock and to keep knocking. We know the story of the widow and the unjust judge. Which was an illustration of of the need of persistent prayer the persistence you see is a high quality highly valued by the Lord we see it here we see it here in this woman she came to Jesus kept coming at him making her case over and over she pled with the Lord to do something about her daughter passionate consistent persistent But there was something else she displays. 
she displays deep humility. Verses 26 to 27. Deep humility. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, when we look at these two statements of of Jesus, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. We have to say that both statements, harsh as they may be, are correct. They are not nice, they are not politically correct, they might be offensive, but nevertheless it is biblical truth. And it sounds offensive. John MacArthur once said, if the truth offends, then let it offend. People have been living their whole lives in offence to God. Let them be offended for a while. But let's be careful here. As Christians, as children of God, we we need to be careful. Just because the gospel is offensive, that does not mean that we have to be ourselves. Time and, and again, Jesus makes it clear that his ministry and the ministry of his disciples is to be directed to the house of Israel. When Jesus sent, for example, when Jesus sent out the twelve, Jesus gave them the the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. That's Matthew chapter 10 verse 6. Then Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well, in John chapter 4 verse 22, salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is not being a bigot. He's not discriminating. This is really the truth. This is the way things are. The Messiah had come to the Jews. The Messiah came from the Jews. And the Messiah was to preach first to the Jews. He was to come to his own. And then, of course, after they rejected him, the gospel would go to the Gentiles. Most of Jesus' ministry was with Jewish people and in Jewish lands. So here is Jesus in Gentile territory. Not only does he appear to ignore the woman, he appears to be insulting all Gentiles as well. I can almost see the headlines in the newspapers, right? Social media everywhere. Jesus is a bigot, he's a bully, he's, yes, racist, all those things. You see, the the Jews used to refer to the Gentiles as dogs. It would have been as offensive as referring to black people today using the N-word. And because of this, uh, many scholars understand the, the, the impact of, the, of these words and they, so they, they try and, and soften Jesus' words by saying that he, was, he wasn't referring to the wild dogs out there. He was referring to the domesticated type of dogs, the little puppies. Whatever way you want to see it, Jesus 
is, 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 is really, really pushing it, right? Jesus is not personally calling the woman a dog, but he is using a rather strong expression to speak about Gentiles, the Gentile people in general. And he is presenting her with the sort of language that this woman would have heard all her life whenever there was interaction between Jews and Gentiles. Why did Jesus do this? Because he was testing her to see how she would react. In Mark's account, by Jesus saying, first let the children eat all they want, what does that mean? It means that Jesus was in fact giving her the crumbs, the little crumbs of hope that she needed. That's all she needed. And by the children eating first, the implication is that others would be fed later. After all, where there is a first, there is a second. And certainly the woman's response doesn't show that she was offended and she starts screaming at Jesus about this. She wasn't offended at all. In fact, she goes deeper into her faith and by answering Jesus in the same tone. And this is a brilliant response. And uh, the response is, you know, it's not only full of wit, but it is full of humility. She said to him, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, this is what she was, she was saying. Jesus, I know your mission. You are the son of David. That's what she calls him. And I know of your reputation. I know what you were sent to do. I know that you are here for your people. I know you'll get around to the other folk someday. But today, Lord, right now, Lord, my child is sick and needs a miracle. And I need a miracle in order to be delivered, to be set free. I don't care how you do it, Lord. don't care anything about the limitations of your mission. All I know is that we are desperate. And if all you give me are the crumbs, then I'll take the crumbs. <coughs> Some 500 years ago, the great reformer, Martin Luther, was on his deathbed. And these are he was there with, with another pastor. And uh, these are his last words. These are his last words. He says, we are beggars. That is true. We are beggars. That is true. There is no pride in that statement, is there? There is no pride as he prostrates himself and recognises that he is nothing more nor that he did, nor that he achieved in his life. He's nothing more than a humble servant of Christ. And just think about how, how strange such a claim sounds in today's culture. Particularly in the West, where autonomy is, is, is prized as a virtue. We're told that we are the shapers of our own identity. 
that we have to reach out and get it, that it's all there for us for the taking, that we are the captains of our ships. There's a clash there with biblical Christianity, isn't there? Let's go back to this woman. She wasn't put off by an apparent offence, insult. Yet, how many people have lost out on a, on a great blessing because they have reacted negatively to something that has offended them? Whether it's been something said from this pulpit or another pulpit, whether you take offence by what someone said, you do that, you take offence and you miss the blessing. Your pride sets in. You feel insulted and humility flies out the window. Here is something else you might want to think about. We're all Gentiles. Yes, if we were living in that day, we'd be considered even as dogs. There's another word that the Apostle Paul used. We are slaves, slaves to sin. We're not children. We are not children by natural descent. We are not part of the Jewish community. We are actually adopted. We are grafted in to the people of God. Our natural father is the devil. But through faith in Christ, we have been adopted by our new father into a new family and given a new name. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are, children of God. And lastly, a faith rewarded in verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. <laughs> He's commending you. You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. More than once, we know that Jesus was excited when people displayed faith in him. Remember the centurion? He's, it brought him joy. It, it said, yes, that's what I want. I want people with faith. Even when it was a faith that the size of, of a mustard seed, that was enough for him to work with. So just imagine the scene when this mother got back home. I'm sure there was already a celebration around the household because of the deliverance of her daughter. The kind of release this woman must have felt to have her daughter back, her own life back, and things getting to some type of normality. It was a glorious reward, a glorious moment of persistent faith rewarded by the only one who could make a difference in her life, in her daughter's life, and that was Jesus. And because of the humility and the persistence and faith of this Gentile woman, she received the answer to her prayer. This is why the Bible declares, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You want to run into God? Continue with your pride. Continue that way. 
But you want to receive grace from God, humble yourself. And here we have the wonderful example of that. But even as I say that, it is only by the grace of our Lord that her request was answered. We, we cannot manipulate God to do what we want. We can only plead, we can only beg by prayer to Him. And finally, let's also recall the words of Jesus found in Matthew eleven sixteen. This is what he said, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. There are many people in our world offended by the gospel. Too proud to repent, surrender and believe in the one crucified on the cross for them. As a believer... I don't want to be offended by Jesus. I want to be inspired. I want to be challenged. I want to be corrected and blessed by the one who loves me. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. So praise him for his faithfulness and goodness. And here is a song that talks about just exactly that. Praise to God.